Our gospel this morning indeed is Mark 6, verses 1 through 13, and can be found on page 1560 of your Pew Bible. Jesus left there, and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. That Jesus went around teaching from the village, from village to village, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a toast testimony against them. And they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and they healed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Last week, we, uh, we looked at Jesus as a prophet. As a prophet that performs miracles. And this week, we see Jesus displaying or experiencing another characteristic of the office of prophet. And that characteristic is one of rejection. One of the really horrible, sorrow-filled bummers in the history of Israel 
is their inability to listen to the prophets. The Lord, our God, our Father in heaven, sent prophet after prophet after prophet, first to the northern kingdom of Israel. Those prophets were Elisha, Elijah, Amos, and Hosea. And then he sent more prophets down to the southern kingdom of Judah, prophets that were Micah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And every word that they said came true. The truth is, the people in general did not believe them. The prophets proclaimed God's word of salvation. And most of the time, most of the time, no one was interested. Eventually, Assyria carried the northern kingdom of Israel into slavery, and a few hundred years later, Nebuchadnezzar carried the southern kingdom of Judah into Babylon. They were warned. They didn't listen. Now, after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, there were a few people that were still left behind in the land. And these people came to Jeremiah, and they said to him in Jeremiah 42, verses 5 through 6, they said this, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word, all of the word which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. The people's words, they sounded pretty good. And God gave an answer to Jeremiah. And here is part of that answer. Jeremiah 42. He said this. If you will remain in this land, if you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you, he promised, and not pluck you up. For God said, for I relent of the disaster that I did to you. But if you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow you close all the way to Egypt, and there you shall die. So God spoke through his prophet Jeremiah and said, 
I know you want to go to Egypt for protection. And he says, don't do that. Stay where you are, and you will be safe. And if you go to Egypt, you will die. He told them that. Can you guess what the people did? They went to Egypt. And they trusted the protection of Egypt more than they trusted the protection of God. And guess what happened next? Well, I'm going to tell you. Now that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem and he had checked that off of his Franklin Day Planner or his, you know, day planner, the next thing he set his mind on his to-do list was to conquer Egypt. Huh. And so the remnant in Judah left a land that would have been ignored by Nebuchadnezzar, probably for a generation. This people went straight to the battle between Egypt and Babylon. And everyone said that they would do whatever God said. But as soon as God's answer was not what they expected or not what they wanted, they rejected it. Do you know anyone like that? I do every time I look in the mirror. So the same thing happened that we read today to Jesus when he went to his hometown of Nazareth. Look, we don't know for sure how many times Jesus tried to teach in his hometown during his ministry. And we do know this, that every time the Bible tells us of his ministry in Nazareth, it doesn't go well. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 4, uh, verses 16 to 30, it indicates that the people of Nazareth, they tried to kill him. And on one of his attempts, well, that was during one of his attempts to bring the good news to his neighbors in Nazareth. Have you ever wondered this? I've wondered this. Why the people in Nazareth rejected Jesus? Why? I mean, he was popular everywhere that he went. And people brought the sick, and they brought the lame, and they brought the unclean, and even the dead, and Jesus healed them all. You would think that the Nazareth city officials, you know, their council, city council, they'd want to give him a key to the city, right? Instead, he gets abuse. Instead of them being proud of a local boy that made good, they ask, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the, car the carpenter, the son of Mary? His parents weren't married. Who is this guy? And his sisters, they're here with us? And they took offense to him, 
They took offense to Jesus. They were so offended that only a few people brought sick and injured people for healing so that he could do a mighty work there. And he could do no further mighty works except to lay his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. That's sad. He couldn't do the mighty works there because of their unbelief. They were beseeching God, but they didn't want what God was sending them. Save me. Here's Jesus. I don't want Jesus. Sound familiar? said, I used to wonder why the people reacted the way they did. I used to. But as a pastor now, I got a pretty good sense from personal experience and then the experience of my pastor brothers as to why people react. How could they do that? How could they react that way? Because I have, and my brothers have, and some of you have, had people react to the good gospel news of Jesus Christ, not with, oh boy, thank you, but the exact opposite. I haven't had anyone throw rocks at me yet, or run me out of town, but it's easy to see for me and for my brothers as to how and why the people did what they did. Many of my brothers have suffered to some degree or another because they insisted on being faithful to the teachings of God's Word. And crazy as it sounds, there are people who resent when a pastor encourages them to study the Bible. The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So who would ever expect a pastor to receive criticism for encouraging his people to study God's word? Weird, huh? But it happens. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes people will say, I don't feel like I'm being fed at my church. Who would ever expect a pastor to receive criticism for teaching God's word too thoroughly or too deeply? You would think that people whose eternity lies in the hands of Jesus Christ would appreciate a pastor who wanted them to know as much about Jesus as possible. And even so, pastor here complains when a Bible class doesn't go the way that they think it should. The first six letters in Christian spell Christ. And you would think that Christians would want Christ at the center of everything that they do. You would think that they would want to learn more and more about who Christ is and how he paid for their sins on the cross. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, 
I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah, that's where I got it. Paul said it. We proclaim Christ and him crucified. But in spite of this, there are some who call themselves Christians who become very angry when you suggest that Christ should be the center of all that we do. The fact is that we are not much different from those people in Nazareth. And the message that Jesus has for us is still offensive to many, even some who claim to be Christians. It is sad that many who call themselves Christians are offended by the very teachings of the Christ they claim to worship. And the fact of the matter is that faithful people who share God's message regularly experience controversy and opposition. People don't always like what God has to say. And this leads to arguments, and it leads to conflict. It leads to family members not ever talking to another family member again because they merely mentioned the saving grace that is offered by Jesus. It happens. Some of you have experienced it. So as long as we must live in the sinful world, controversy and opposition will always be part of our Christian life. Okay, so here's some good news. Are you ready for that? Yeah. In spite of the world's opposition, Jesus does not stop offering his gifts. He continued to send his disciples out to prepare the way for his ministry, even though he knew that they would experience opposition. He gave them the authority to bless those who received them and the authority to shake the dust off their feet against those who did not accept them. The Lord did not withhold his gifts just because his disciples would experience rejection. Jesus still offers those gifts today. And when Jesus died on the cross, he did not die for nice people. He died for sinners. And since the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that means he died for everybody. If we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? He died for those who rejected him in Nazareth, and he died for those who still reject him today. And he offers his gifts to all, even those who reject him time and time again. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, and he wants you to know about him. And he has given the church the command to teach the nations to hold fast to all the things that he taught. 
We should take advantage of this command. We should learn about the Christ who loves you and gave himself into death for you. We should learn about the Savior who delights in giving you the things that are best for you. We should learn about the Lord who rose from the dead in order to give you the promise of eternal life. God's words are divisive. They just are. The Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to to write this. The word of God is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The division is between those who are faithful to Christ's teachings and those who reject them. Jesus faced opposition in Nazareth and his hometown because the people rejected God's word. And eventually the people who rejected God's word arranged to have him nailed to the cross. And with his death on the cross, he reconciled us to God. He gave us forgiveness. He gave us life. And we are among those who say of Jesus, blessed is he who comes In the name of the Lord. And the moment that we say that, the moment we say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As soon as we say that, somebody's going to be mad. In the name of Jesus. Amen.